So when I was 14, I wrote a book. And the book was titled The Jesus Journals. And this book was a diary of my spiritual life. Um, All my prayers I wrote in there. A horrific amount of my prayers were about boys that I fancied. (laughs) And a lot of them were prayers about Tibet. Apparently, I was really into praying for Tibet. Um, And a lot of them were asking God to take away my acne. Um, Friends I was praying for, their names went down in the Jesus journals. Bible verses I read went down in the Jesus journals. When I wanted to be forgiven, I wrote it down in the Jesus journals. When God spoke to me, I wrote it down. From 2011 to 2013, my relationship with God was really well documented. (laughs) And here's something interesting. It's a time that I look back on in my life, and I think, wow, I was really close to God. It's a pretty mad time of life. Uh, year nine is pretty savage. There's hormones flying everywhere. But I felt like I could go to God with anything. I could take anything on. I felt like I was best friends with God. I could be really vulnerable and really open. And I started writing this diary when I was 14 because someone in my church at the time told me this. The enemy tries to steal God's victories from us. The enemy will try and make you forget what God has done for you. Christians use this word a lot, the enemy. What we might be mean when we say enemy is Satan or the devil. Sometimes the Bible calls him the evil one. We can mean spirits or demons. Basically, we're talking about an enemy that intentionally wants to separate us from God. It's really easy to underestimate the enemy, and it's really easy to overestimate the enemy. I know that I definitely swing between freaking out about the thought of evil, of intentional evil, and then also just totally ignoring it as an issue. But the Bible acknowledges that there is an enemy who doesn't want us to live in relationship with God. There is an enemy who doesn't want us to live peacefully, who doesn't want us to trust God. There is an enemy who doesn't want us to feel powerful, When the early church was being set up in the Middle East, the guy who was leading the movement, Paul, he wrote all the time in his letters to be vigilant, to keep watch for the enemy. He understood that when we start living good, godly, whole, full, joyful, powerful lives, the enemy wants to put a stop to that. However, we don't need to be worried or scared about the enemy because the book of Colossians in the Bible says that Jesus has disarmed the rulers and authorities and that we have been rescued from darkness. We don't have to be afraid of anything natural or supernatural. We are not left to fight alone. God has provided us with weapons and with armor to attack and defend, armor to stand firm and weapons to take ground to progress. If you've got a Bible, um, get it out or look at someone's phone or someone sitting next to you. Um, And let's read Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 18. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so, when the, so that when 
day of evil comes, you might be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. If you're interested, by the way, um, Ephesians was written either by Paul, one of the leaders of the early church, or by someone like Paul, someone who's influenced by him. Lots of academics reckon that the book of Ephesians was written for many churches in the Middle East, not just the church in Ephesus. There's wisdom that's in here, and that is applicable to lots of different situations and contexts and times and places, including ours. So we'll do this a step at a time. We'll do this piece of armor at a time. The first piece of armor that we have is the belt of truth. For a Roman soldier, their belt set them apart from the rest of society. The belt was taken away from the soldier if they were disgraced. It was really heavy. The metal would have made lots of noise. The weight would have affected the way that a soldier would move and stand. The belt made them different, and the truth makes us different too. So what is the truth? The truth is the promises that God makes to us, and we find proof of these promises in the Bible. So when we're feeling desperate, when we're feeling hopeless, and like we are walking in darkness on our own, when others are giving up, we can remember that God will never leave or forsake us. That even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Those two Bible verses and other promises that God makes us in the Bible, we need to put around our waist. We need to pray these verses out loud. Declare it in your bedroom when it's night and your head gets messy. I have messy head nights. They're horrible. Um, we need to remind ourselves of those promises all the time, every day, because the enemy will make us forget what has been promised to us. Write these promises on your mirror. Write them on a belt. Put those words into a song. Memorize them. Write on your walls and on your door frames. Well, I, I've got a house inspection tomorrow, actually. Might not, <laughs> might not do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, make it physical. Make your prayers physical. Um, make them into an action. The enemy can attack us by questioning the promises and the word of God. But our belt, our truth, defends us from that attack. The second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness, another word I think we bandy about without fully understanding what it means. Righteousness is right living, living in right relationship with God. In the book of Genesis, it talks about Adam and Eve walking in the Garden of, e in the garden of Eden with God, chatting to him. They were naked in front of each other and in front of God. They were quite literally bearing themselves before each other and before God. They were intensely vulnerable. They were like children. Before they disobeyed God, they didn't know the difference between right and wrong, and so they included God in everything, in all parts of their lives. I've got parts of my life that I don't want to include God in. I've got parts of my life that I don't want to pray about. I don't want to chat to God about this thing, because I feel like it's too shameful. But it's that classic AA thing, 
the first step to solving the problem is admitting that you've got a problem, and we've all got problems. Um, <laughs> living righteously is taking God's advice seriously. God knows how to fix us. God knows how to fix our problems. When we live righteously, when we take God's advice and we act on it, when we live as God intends us to live, with love and justice and mercy, we align ourselves with God. No one can accuse us. We sort of step behind him so we are protected. God becomes our breastplate. I don't know if you guys know the story behind Chariots of Fire, the film, um, but it's a true story. Um, there's a guy called Eric Liddell who was a rugby player and a runner, and he was going to run um, in the 1942 Olympics, and he was pretty much a shoe in to win. Um, everyone thought he was going to make it. And the race ended up being on a Sunday, and he didn't run it because he felt like that was a day of rest. He wanted to keep it holy for God. And I can imagine he came under a fair amount of attack because people were like, you're being really selfish. We've worked really hard for this. His coaches would have worked really hard. He had a team behind him. And he didn't care about their opinions, and he cared about the opinion of God. That, for me, is an example of living righteously. Eric Liddell knew that it was God's opinion that mattered most. To be righteous, we need to admit that we don't know what we're doing. We need to admit that we behave badly. And then we need to pray for the strength to stand firm, to live in right relationship with God and with each other. And that kind of prayer is constant. It's a constant realigning. It's clocking, oh, that probably wasn't the best thing to do. God, change me. I pray, change me. And the final piece of armor that I'll talk about before handing over to Holly, the feet or the shoes which are ready with the gospel of peace. Uh, this is a bit of a wordy one. There's a few parts to this. So feet fitted with the readiness. The early Christians, the kinds of churches that the book of Ephesians is written to, their lives were not exactly tranquil. Um, they were hated by a lot of people. They were persecuted by the Roman Empire, who was really wary of their one God, Jewish th theology and influence. Jewish society would have been suspicious of their willingness um, to live alongside Gentiles, non-Jewish people. The first Christians were constantly on the move, escaping and getting shipwrecked and getting locked up. They were always praying, listening to God, always ready to move on and tell people about Jesus in a new place. They were firebrands, running around with lit torches. They lived in a state of constant readiness, always ready. And gospel, good news, it's the Greek word for good news. It's also the word we use for the four books of the Bible which tell us about Jesus' life on earth. Um, I've known God for most of my life. I'm sure a few of us here have also known God for a long time. And it's really easy to forget promises that are made to us. It's really easy to forget that God, the creator of the stars, the universe, the planets, the insects, the trees, the oceans, blue whales, volcanoes, all of nature, that creator loves me, loves us, and died for us and wants us to know him and live with him, and be in relationship with him. That same experience that Adam and Eve had, living in the Garden of Eden, at peace with each other, at peace with nature, at peace with God, that is a life, that is an experience that we can also have. 
<laughs> That's why Jesus came and died and rose again, to bring us back into the Garden of Eden. And if we've known that for a while, we can forget that. It's when I fully appreciate that peace that God offers me that I think people really need to hear this. Other people will really need this peace. When we appreciate the good news, we are ready to share it. So our prayer for this armor, the feet, I don't really know if feet are armor, but yeah. Um, our prayer is that we appreciate the radical love of Jesus, that we are rooted from our feet in that love, and we are always ready and waiting and seeking out opportunities to tell people about Jesus. So God, I pray now that we would be rooted in your promises, standing firm in righteousness, living in a right relationship with you and always ready and willing to tell people about the incredible love that Jesus offers us. Ollie. So we've heard from Misha about how God equips us to stand firm in truth, in righteousness, in the gospel of peace. Do you know that there was so much in that? I just want to just have like a moment just to let some of that sink in because this is a really dense passage and we've got loads more to go on with. So let's just have a second just to reflect on what Misha's talked about. So let's turn to the next verses. We're standing firm, but now God is asking us to take up our armor. So in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We're going to take it a piece of armour at a time. We're going to carry on. Uh, but just bear in mind that we could talk for weeks about every single piece of armour, actually. So maybe go home and read this passage again just to squeeze the most out of it because I bet there's more that God wants to say to you through each of these pieces of armour. We're standing firm, but then we go to take up the shield of faith. So back when Paul was writing this, he um, kind of bases his description on the armour of a Roman soldier um, who would have been everywhere at the time and Roman soldiers didn't have like little bendy arrows that Robin Hood prances about with the arrows in their day were more like javelins like you see in the Olympics they were doused in some kind of tar or something flammable I've been thinking about this for weeks as in what is flammable <laughs> but they were doused in something and then set on fire and launched at the enemy now, you might be thinking, well, this passage now doesn't seem very relevant to life because, thank goodness, but I don't see any burning javelins heading in our direction. But, but, I do see lies that we all believe about ourselves that make us shrink back in fear and stop living the life that God has promised us. Misha's already talked a little bit about the enemy who is set against us. And Jesus describes the enemy as a thief or the prince of lies. And he is set on destroying and stealing from us. The arrows flying at us on the battlefield of life are the lies that we should feel shame. Just like the story that Dan told us last week about Leah. The arrows are the lies that we can't overcome the stuff that drags us back time and again. We can't overcome fear, anxiety, 
sin, lust, flippancy, doubt, anger, insecurity that just clings so closely it must just be a part of us. These arrows are screaming at that God doesn't love you. God isn't good. God only likes you when you behave. And the worst arrows are those that look like the truth, that we get deceived about and that we end up believing and they draw us in further and further until we're actually in a place which ends up being way further from God than we ever intended to be in. So kind of feeling rationally, we're dodging. We can spend our entire days just dodging arrow and after arrow, after arrow, after arrow, and we're sick with fear for the time that one of them's actually going to be true. And one of them's actually going to go straight through us and finish us off. What's awesomely ironic is that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he defeated the enemy and he defeated death once and for all. So the enemy can't actually destroy you. So what's the best that the enemy can hope for in battle? Because Jesus has actually stopped any of those lies or fears being capable of destroying you. The arrows were never going to hit you. The most powerful thing the enemy can do in battle, in your life, is distract you. He sets those arrows on fire knowing that it's going to catch your eye. He knows that just as you stand firm and stand your ground, and just as you start to think about moving forward, you'll see your darkest fear heading towards you, and you'll shrink back from the fight. And this is where the shield of faith comes in. Notice the shield is kind of weird because Paul doesn't say the shield of faith which blocks the arrows, the shield of faith which bats them off. <laughs> um, the shield of faith extinguishes those arrows. The shield of faith takes those arrows, those lies and those fears that the enemy hurls at you and sets on fire to get your attention and faith extinguishes them because the arrows were never going to destroy you. Jesus made sure of that. And so the shield of faith shows you that. It takes the power out of them one by one. Your faith means that it extinguishes the fear that you're not enough, the lie that you can't change, your insecurity, your fear of other people, the lie that God doesn't really love you. It extinguishes them. Faith snuffs them out. So we take up the shield of faith. This means that we allow our faith in God, not just our belief system, but faith that he's a good father, faith that Jesus overcame death, like that Jesus has actually done that and came back from the dead, and that he's overcome the enemy, fear that he's overcome our fears, fears um, um, the faith that we're actually loved for who we are, that God looks at us and he sees us as perfect and whole. That's faith. Not just, oh, I believe in God and that puts a shield around me. Faith that God is who he says he is. We allow that faith to snuff out those lies that are heading our way. And think about it. A shield goes ahead of us. A shield goes where we're not ready to go, where our bodies aren't safe to go. And in the same way, faith goes ahead of us to places where we're not ready to go, to places where the ground is dangerous or uncertain. Faith helps us push ahead and take back the ground in our lives, take back what's been stolen from us through those lies and those fears. Our faith shields us. Faith isn't just a wishy-washy, oh, I believe in a nice God, so he's nice back. Faith comes up like a shield around your life when you step forward. 
praying in faith, declaring truth that we might not feel ready to act on or acting on truth that we might not feel ready to act on. But edging forward anyway, that's strategically praying. It means we take back the identity and the freedom that God has designated as ours without distraction. Next, take the helmet of salvation. So this is another way of praying strategically. When you pray, put on the helmet of salvation. What does this mean? Um, Guard your mind with the truth that you are saved by God. Let it permeate your every thought and action. On the battlefield of life, let nothing but God's truth get in your head. Let no one, not the enemy, not your family, not your friends, not your workplace, no one, let them, don't let them pull the wool over your eyes. Jesus died and rose from the dead just for you, for all of us. He made us new. He made us free. This is salvation. Do you live like this is actually real? Because it is real. Knowing this would mean you know that God lives in you by his spirit and wants to work through you and with you to set others free. Knowing this would mean that you know that you are the son or daughter of the King Most High and you've been given a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind, not of timidity and defeat. Knowing this would mean that you know that you are loved, you are chosen, you are adopted, you are made whole and you are made holy, not through your own efforts or because you're good or because you're trying, but because God says so. That is salvation. Do you wear it? Do you take it up every day? Praying strategically is allowing the truth of your salvation to permeate and guard your mind. It's putting on the helmet of salvation day after day. And finally, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So there are three different words for the Word of God that Paul uses, because originally it was written in Greek, funnily enough. Um, The one Paul uses here is rhema. This isn't like word as in a word on a page in ink, and it isn't like a word with like a certain meaning in the dictionary. This kind of word um, that Paul's talking about is more like an utterance. So it's like the personal voice of God through the Bible directly to us. Hold on a minute. God is speaking directly to you. And it's like the times when you're like sat reading the Bible or you're listening to a talk, like right now, um, and it's as if um, the words are just for you. It's as if you, you were like the only person sat in the room. It's like the words leap off the page and something deep within you responds. And it's like the Holy Spirit of God. It, well, it is the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> it is him, um, like nudging you and saying, this is for you. This is it. It's like that personal, direct voice of God. And so Paul is saying to us, take this up. This is the sword of the Spirit. Memorize that verse. Speak it over yourself as you leave the house. Declare it over your fears and um, say it over yourself when you wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night. Stick it up on your fridge and on your mirror and on your phone. God is equipping you with his word to use it in battle, not just to read it and leave it behind. The sword of his spirit. And the interesting thing is the sword, if you haven't noticed, is the most offensive weapon. And what's even stranger is that it doesn't even belong to you. It's the most offensive part of the armor so far. And it isn't even ours. You take it up, but it's not yours. 
It's the spirit of God. It's his word. You don't use it to fight in your own strength because you can't do battle alone. And when you take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the spirit of God fights for you. As you declare that word over your life, it has power and the word itself offensively strikes down the enemy. God fights for us. His his word cuts through sharper than any double-edged sword. And at the time, the sword that Paul is talking about, the word that he uses, isn't like a hefty sword that you'd see in a film, although Roman soldiers did have those. He's talking actually about um, like a dagger. It would have been about 18 inches long. Capable, as you can imagine, of inflicting huge damage, and it was for use in close combat. So when those javelin-like arrows get through, when those lies get through and you just start to believe them, when you're tempted to think, maybe actually my insecurity is the way it is for the rest of my life. Maybe people are right about me. When the ground around you seems to just be on fire and you feel like you're having to gear up for close combat, you take up the word of God, which fights for you. This is praying strategically. It's It's praying those verses from the Bible over yourself and over those around you. It's saying out loud the actual words of God, which he's already spoken over you, over his world and over the brokenness and pain around you and in your own life. So now that we're standing firm, like Misha said, And now that we're taking up our armor, like we've just heard about, Paul says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With your armor on, with all of this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And so that's what we're going to do right now. And when it talks about praying in the spirit, it's that when we pray, God himself, as his Holy Spirit, joins with us and fills us. And he changes our prayers from being like paper airplanes fired up into heaven to a distant God, into prayers that connect us directly with God the Father who is in us and with us already. He is closer than the air we breathe. So would you all stand with me? God has spoken to us and he has challenged us all about standing firm and about taking up our armor. And maybe, you, maybe this is your first time or your first few times and you don't really know who Jesus is and you're not sure whether any of it applies to you. I just dare you for the next few minutes just to give it a go, just to join in because for all of, the, all of us, including me, including Misha, all of us, this is a huge challenge to stand firm in our identity and in the truth of God and to take up our armor day after day. We are all in this together. So let's just take a moment to ask God, which of these things he wants us to focus on? We're going to respond in a few minutes, but first of all, for you, is it standing firm? Is God asking you and nudging you to pray more strategically about your identity, about his truth, about right living his way? And about boldly sharing his good news out of the peace that you have with him. Is that what God is interested in you particularly looking at today? Or is it about taking up your armor? Is God challenging you to move forward, shielded by faith, guarded by his salvation, and allowing his word to fight for you?